You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the classic example of the owners not only leveraging contracts, but rubbing the players' noses in it. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We're produced, as always, by Jack Connell. The music you hear under me is my son, Sam Brandt. Follow him at Boy Blue Tunes on Spotify. And, of course, we're brought to you, as always, by DraftKings. Hope you're having a great week. Getting you a little later this week because we wanted to see all the things that are happening. And I've got thoughts, Brandt's Rants edition, and I'm going to start with the Patrick Mahomes contract upgrade, and we'll go for some other topics in and out of the NFL and even more. I really want to uh, emphasize that if this is you want more out of your sports, you want to go deeper, you want to get behind the scenes, hopefully I'm a thought leader that can bring you behind and get you some insight and texture that you don't get anywhere else in the massive landscape of sports podcasts. So settle in. These are usually half-hour bites for you to sort of learn, get smarter about the NFL and other sports. And we start with what many consider the best player in the NFL, the most marketable player in the NFL, the face of the NFL, the Super Bowl champion quarterback twice, Patrick Mahomes. Now, most of you listening to me know that I've been down on this contract for a long time, especially the way it was portrayed upon its negotiation as this incredible deal and 450 million or even half a billion dollars and people just going to the shiny object that is the total number but you go deeper on this contract and you realize how much of a win it was and is I'll get to that for the Kansas City Chiefs and how much of a loss it was for Patrick Mahomes and I know before I even start a lot of people are going to look at me and say Andrew what's your problem Patrick Mahomes is happy he's made a home there. He wants to stay there forever. Listen, I'll get into all this, but he could make a home and stay there forever without having to do what he did in this contract, both then and now and in the future. This contract was done in 2020. And let me be clear about this contract. This is not his rookie contract. Yes, he had a couple years remaining in his rookie contract, as did Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, so many of the contracts that were done for young quarterbacks. But he did this deal in 2020. You know when it goes through? 2031. So 2020 season through the 2031 season. I've never seen a contract this long. And for those of you who think, oh, that's great. He settled into Kansas City and he's made his home there and he's going to just commit, commit, commit. That doesn't help him. This doesn't help him. The length of contract only helps the team. In football, in baseball or basketball, length of contract really helps the player because then they're locked in, the team is. But in football, these aren't guaranteed contracts. No, these are really one-year options for the team. If they like them, they bring them back. If they don't, they cut them or renegotiate to a lower amount. And even if the player's playing well, having them under contract is a bonus for the team. So right away, when he does a 12-year contract, forget about the extension years, 
It's 12 years under contract, the prime of his career, not being able to sniff free agency, not having the leverage of three years or two years or one year away from free agency that so many other players have leveraged. That's the start. Then the first three years have happened. We are beyond the first three years of the contract. Those first three years, $65 million. Think about that. This contract bandied about as a $450 million contract paid out in the first three years $65 million. $65 million. That is, criminal is way too strong a word, but that is the most undervalued contract perhaps in the history of the NFL. Let's compare some other three-year cash flows from the time that Mahomes did his contract a year later, these deals, maybe two years later. Josh Allen, $95 million, $30 million more than Patrick Mahomes. Again, $30 million more over the first three years than Pat Mahomes. Kyler Murray, $108 million, $43 million more than Patrick Mahomes over the first three years. Russell Wilson, $126 million, almost twice what Patrick Mahomes is getting over his first three years. And we can laugh about Russell Wilson's play this last year, but Jesus. Deshaun Watson, we've talked about that enough, $138 million, more than twice what Patrick Mahomes is getting over the first three years. Heck, Lamar Jackson is making $80 million this year. Pat Mahomes made $65 million. Um, Aaron Rodgers in 2018, $66 million. More in one year than Patrick Mahomes was going to get three years, negotiated two years later. I mean... Russell Wilson, $70 million last year, more than Patrick Mahomes. So listen, that's segment one of the contract. I'll get back to that. Segment two of the contract is the four years from this year till 2026 that the Chiefs thankfully and finally and rightfully upgraded. Whatever that amount was, that amount now is $210 million. That puts them at the top of the market for these four years besting Lamar Jackson by $2 million. Lamar is 208 over these four. Patrick Mahomes, 210 over these four. The Chiefs have rightly addressed this imbalance for these four years, for segment two of a three-segment contract. So segment one, nothing. Segment two, they upgraded. And rightfully so. And they did a good job by Mahomes. They put him at the top of the market for now, for these four years. The problem is segment one and three. Segment three is 2027 to 2031 did not address, did not upgrade. These numbers are still low, even for today. Imagine how low they're going to be in four years. These, they, they didn't lop off one or two or three or four or five years of this deal. He's still under contract, which is a win for the Chiefs till 2031, this extraordinary long contract. So basically, Mahomes has to continue his elite play and, quote, trust the team, as he did before. Trust the team that they'll take care of him in 2027 or before, like they did now. The problem with this upgrade is it does not address 2020 to 2023. Yeah, you can say, hey, they brought him to market for these four years. And of course, the market will be passed by whoever the next big thing is. But they didn't address the past. 
So while they gave him $44 million of new money over these next four years, basically an upgrade of $11 million a year average over these next four years, they didn't upgrade the past. So he's making 65, 21 point something over the past three years. How much do you think he should have been making? 40? I mean, that's not unreasonable. 35, that'd be 15 million a year. Throw him an extra $45 million. Throw him an extra $50 million. Of course they didn't do that. I mean, of course you should think about that. They didn't address the lopsidedness of this contract over the last three years. And they didn't address the future lopsidedness of this contract. So Pat Mahomes says all the right things. The Chiefs are looking good. They upgraded the contract. But come on. Patrick Mahomes is still drastically underpaid. And I get it. Andrew, why do you care about this? I care about inequity. Because I've learned in my career, and I've learned the hard way because I've been on the chief side of this, that lopsided deals never work. One-sided deals never work. This is happening with the NFLPA and the NFL. These deals don't work. You have to deal with these people all the time, and at some point, they're going to look at you sideways. Like, why are you getting over on me? Why did you deal a deal like that? And most people just look at Pat Mahomes' big numbers and say, oh, great. But if you look into these contracts, as I do, I'm like, this is still a really inequitable situation for Patrick Mahomes. Sure, he's happy. And this idea of helping the team, and you know my pet peeve there, you can always help the team by moving cap money. Every top quarterback does. You don't need to take less cash. That's it. So I don't get it. I, I still don't understand how the Chiefs get away with this. It, you know, maybe it's up to Patrick Mahomes' agent to say that that's great. What about the last three years? What about the last five years of the deal? There's three segments of the contract. They addressed one of the three. And we're trusting them. Again, that's a tough word in hardcore cold business negotiations. To do it again. We'll see. We'll see. Patrick Mahomes got paid for these four years, an upgrade of roughly $10 million a year. He wasn't addressed how inequitable the contract was the last three years, roughly 15 to $20 million lower than the marketplace, but it is what it is. Okay. Speaking of quarterbacks, I think we have to address these young quarterbacks. Listen, Justin Fields is obviously struggling. He looks bad. Daniel Jones looked bad last night, and all these calls about what are the Giants doing paying Daniel Jones... This is a tough position, and, you know, I'm biased with the Packers. The Packers have obviously drafted quarterbacks when they didn't need to draft quarterbacks. It's worked out so well in the past. We don't know what's going to happen with Jordan Love. He looks pretty good. He looks better than the two quarterbacks we just mentioned. But, again, time will tell on that. You know, the 49ers giving up on Trey Lance. I mean, it just looks like these quarterbacks are, are doomed uh, you look at that draft. I mean, we've talked about the draft that just got paid, excuse me, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Now, they got their big deals. And the other one in that class, Tua, is now the odds-on favorite for MVP as we speak here in late September. He didn't get paid. Why not? Will he get paid? When? Those are questions. But listen, I think, you know, you have to look at these situations like, where's the scouting? What's going on? How is Zach Wilson such a bust? How is Justin Fields looking like a bust? 
How is Daniel Jones looking like a bust after getting paid? What would have been your alternative to Daniel Jones? Well, you could have franchised him and just play the year. Why not? Or replace him, you know, with a stopgap. But again, then you're starting over. Then you're starting over. I guess, yeah, I don't think the idea of going elsewhere besides Daniel Jones is really the right option, but then you're starting over. And speaking of starting over, what are we doing with Justin Fields? It's a mess in Chicago. I'm not going to speculate on the defensive coordinator and why he's no longer there. Some reports his home was raided. His, his lawyer says no. Okay, so his lawyer takes a legal oath and says that did not happen. So is he being lawyer, legal speak? We'll see. It will come out. These things always come out. But I think with the Jets, you know, I've said this before. I hear about this harsh New York media. Really? How harsh have they been about busting on two top five quarterbacks, two top three quarterbacks, Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson? You know, to say they believe in Zach Wilson, they spent, moved mountains to replace him. Two number two picks, $108 million turned to $75 million for Aaron and, of course, a pick swap last year, all to replace Zach Wilson, and now they're stuck with him. But will they replace him now? I don't know. I mean, I think he'll go a few more weeks, and then if they throw up their hands on Zach Wilson now, it's over, right? It's over. They've already said, you know, maybe we'll keep Aaron around and, and develop Zach Wilson. Well, they're not going to develop Zach Wilson after he takes over for Aaron due to injury and he can't play. It's over. And when you bust on the number two, or in Fields' case, number 10, with a trade-up, that sets you back, as if these organizations aren't set back enough. I don't know the answer. You know, the only answer I can say from my Packer bias is go for the quarterback when you want the quarterback, when you think the quarterback's right for your future, even if you don't need one. That's the Packer way. The worst time to draft a quarterback is when you need a quarterback because then you're, you know, struggling. And I don't get it on Zach Wilson. What did I miss? He threw a great pass against Air at the combine, but was he the, is he the overall number two? Was teams going to take him number two? And then Trey Lance, who didn't play. And, and again, the 49ers got lucky with Purdy so far, but that's a curious one. Watching the 49ers last night and watching how Kyle Shanahan makes chicken salad out of you-know-what with anything on offense, why invest so much to get to the third pick in Trey, Trey Lance? It just... Made no sense for them to do that. Not their way, not their coaching, not how they draft and develop. I don't get it. They could have taken a player later on in the draft where they were supposed to pick. Could have been Mac Jones, whatever. We'll see. But when I watch Zach Wilson, when I watch Justin Fields, when I watch even Mac Jones, I'm not a scout, but I'm like, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Anyway, that's the quarterbacks. Speaking of a much more under, much more lower valued position, running backs. How about that NFLPA uh, being sued by the NFL in a grievance, basically saying that these comments about running backs sitting out and faking injuries in order to leverage a better contract. First of all, that's not going to work. It hasn't worked. If, if in fact Jonathan Taylor or anyone else has done it. But the NFL kind of coming after J.C. Treader and the union for doing these, saying these things. I'm like, wow, these people play hardball. 
First of all, they don't pay running backs. The running backs get hurt. It's terrible position. They disadvantage them before they get in the NFL with this three-year eligibility rule that the NFLPA agreed to. They don't give them second contracts, and then production hurts, not helps them early in their career. It's a terrible situation. And I, you know, as having been management, I can't argue with teams. Like, you know, you get the most productivity out of running backs in their first contract. You look how explosive and dynamic B. John Robinson is in Atlanta. You think he's going to be that way in four years? Probably not. Okay? If he is, you think about extending him. The chances are he's not, and you realize you've got in his best years, and contracts are for paying forward, not behind. Okay. So there you go. Uh... Listen, they're not. What is their goal here? What is the NFL's goal in suing the NFLPA about comments made about running backs holding in or running backs faking it? Come on, what is that? They want to squeeze more money out of running backs? <laughs> this is the classic example of the owners not only leveraging contracts, but rubbing the players' noses in it. Not only leveraging a 10-year, team-friendly, massively tilted deal of a CBA, but now just rubbing the players' noses in it. What are they going to get out of this besides just shaming them? I mean, again, I just talked about Mahomes and a lopsided deal. What are they doing here? Why are we talking about suing the NFLPA for comments about running backs? Now they're just rubbing the players' noses in it. These owners. Speaking of the owners, okay, I have said this since the Live Tour, PGA Tour merger, still yet to be named, still yet to be determined, still we don't know what's going on, but the Saudi Public Investment Fund worth $700 billion has bought golf, and I said that moment on June 6th, they're going to buy more, and they're going to get into the core four, and it's not going to be as surprising and eye-opening as it was. This slow creep of Middle Eastern investment money has already started in the NBA and in the NHL. The Qatari wealth management, Sovereign Wealth Fund has bought 5% of Monumental Sports in Washington, which has the Capitals in hockey and the Wizards in basketball. It has already started. And here's the thing. It's coming to the NFL. It is. News this week backs up my theory from June that an ownership committee has been established with five owners. They are the Chiefs' Clark Hunt, the Broncos' new owner, Greg Penner, the Falcons' Arthur Blank, the Patriots' Robert Kraft, and the Browns' Jimmy Haslam. And they are charged with studying ownership policies, which can include debt levels, of course, equity requirements, and more interesting to me, here's the one we're going to talk about. The category they will dis discuss and examine and study is eligible categories of investors. Okay. Typically, the NFL, going way back to its inception, has had kind of the one-owner individual system where you sit at the table, as I did for 10 years, and there's that owner. They want that name, that face, that body at the table. And that's the way they've always been structured. Now, franchise values have skyrocketed so much, that's going to be untenable. Yeah, you'll still get that person at the table, but they won't be the person putting up extraordinary wealth at the, at the moment. Now, 
We just had, I mentioned Greg Penner, the Broncos sold for $4.65 billion, which was more than twice the previous sale of the Carolina Panthers for 2.2. Then we get the Commanders, which is the stunning price that went this summer to Josh Harris for $6.05 billion. It's extraordinary. And as we know, Josh Harris is a billionaire. He owns the Sixers and the Devils, and he struggled to get financing. He struggled to get a group together. I've told the story many times. I know a friend who got a prospectus, and he called me and he said, Andrew, they want $100 million to jump into this ownership group, and I don't really get anything except some good tickets. Is that it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. Because these franchise prices are so, so high right now. What are you getting for $100 million? Not much. So Harris puts together this group of 30 private individuals and they're still struggling to get the money. Yeah, $6 billion. You know, they are going to run out of multi-billionaires. So what the ownership committee is going to discuss is other ways to get involved. Will they relax rules on institutional investment? I say yes. Institutional investment, not necessarily the Saudi public investment fund. It could be other sovereign wealth funds. And more likely, PE money, private equity, institutional money. And I think that will happen. Now, for those worried about the Saudis buying teams, that's not going to happen. It's not happening in the NBA. The NBA says PE money, institutional money can come in, but a limit of 30% overall and 20% for one firm. Okay? So again... We're still going to have, even if they adopt the NBA system, we're still going to have the ownership system in the NFL with an owner at the table representing the team, a face, a name we look to as the owner of that team, but they may be supported financially by equity investment from PE money or sovereign wealth money. Sovereign wealth funds have an $11 trillion value around the world, of course. Yeah. Um, or some other form of hedge fund institutional money. That's going to happen. I don't see, so again, I don't see a sovereign wealth fund or Saudi investment fund being the owner of any of these teams like there are in golf, but I do see investment being allowed. Maybe not this year, but this committee is the first step. Okay. One other thing, uh, USFL and XFL merging. How about that? Um, we have The Rock with the XFL rebooted. That was started in 2001. Then it was started again in 2020. Then the pandemic. Now it's rebooted under The Rock XFL. It's, I don't know. It did okay, I guess. USFL rebooted again. Remember, they were in the 80s, the first spring league. And now there's reports they're going to join up. Makes sense. Makes sense. And when we talk about it... Um, the obvious point that I get to is, hey, hey, the chance of two spring leagues surviving, got to be minimal. The chance of one spring league merge surviving, a lot better. Makes so much sense. Um, again, in, one of the cat- in the category of that makes too much sense not to happen, they're going to merge. There's also a media merger. Fox is USFL. ESPN is XFL. They'll merge at least for spring football. And it continues this world of mergers in sports this year. Obviously, I just talked about the PGA Tour and Live Tour coming together, we think, at some point. There's also the UFC and WOD and that massive $21 billion merger, new company to be called TKO Holdings. Again, 
UFC and WWE now in one uh, merged tour or event or group or entity. And then last week, you know, pickleball. I don't know if any of you are pickleball players. I think it's coming in about 20 years. I think I'll be a pro pickleball player or only a full-time pickleball player. Uh, they're merging. The PPA Tour, which is more of a player's tour, and the Major League Pickleball, which has all those celebrity owners, they're merging. So mergers are everywhere. And speaking of Fox, we talked about Fox with USFL. Uh, just a last note about Rupert Murdoch. He's stepping down, 92-year-old. Uh, obviously created uh, the president, uh, CEO of News Corp and Fox Corp. But he's got a real legacy in sports broadcasting. Back in the 1990s, he decided he's going to get into a sports network. He basically created Fox Sports Network by doing a massive overpay of the NFL to get NFL rights. Remember, NFL used to be CBS, NBC only. Uh, he did a massive overpay and he got in. He got in. Now, let's look at the money. <laughs> that overpay was $1.6 billion over four years. A massive number, not rational at the time. Completely irrational at the time. Completely. But it worked. And now we compare it to today. That number looks so quaint. Instead of 1.6 bill over four years, what is Fox paying now? Two billion annually. <laughs> Look, my, my, how times have changed in sports broadcasting. But the legacy of Rupert Murdoch, obviously still alive, just retired, is just, he basically created Fox Sports by making the irrational business decision to overpay for NFL football. And look how it's worked out. Okay. That'll do it. There's your, uh, there's your weekly bite into all topics behind the game in the NFL and otherwise. Hope you enjoyed it. Newsletter always, andrew-brandt.com is how you sign up. Sportsbusinessleague.com. If you want to get my daily videos and weekly meeting on Zoom. Of course, Instagram Reels, Andrew Brandt too. You know my Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Been doing a lot there this week. And of course, um, Sports Illustrated column. And find me wherever you can. Hope to make this a unique podcast for all your listeners. Share it with a friend. Put it out there. I uh, want to make you smarter about sports. Thanks to producer Jack Connell, musical producer my son Sam Brandt. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew. Brandt.